0: Hello and welcome back to the Come, Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard, pastoring at Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah. Thanks so much for joining me. Glad you're here. And today, as we continue studying the New Testament along the schedule made by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Come, Follow Me curriculum, we are brought to 2 Corinthians today, my Favorite book of the New Testament, 2 Corinthians. I'm currently preaching through it alongside the other pastor at our church, Tyler. And so you can find that on our website. Go to orchardhillsbiblechurch.com and you can find our sermons there. And listen to anything you want in 2 Corinthians up to chapter 11. Because this Sunday we're starting chapter 11. And so uh, anything chapters 1 through 10, we hit every verse uh, on the way through. And so you can check that out. But uh, today we're going to be going to what is perhaps my favorite chapter in all of the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I want to just jump right in and start at verse 14. So if you're joining here via video, you can uh, see that I have it up on the screen along with this advertisement from fan cards along the bottom. That's kind of lame. I don't really want that to be happening, but... It is what it is. Uh, all right, so 2 Corinthians five fourteen, and I will read through the end of the chapter, verse 21. The Apostle Paul and his missionary team writes to this church saying, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made Him, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So many good things here, so many amazing things to see. Uh, it is just an amazing passage. I really want to focus in on that last verse I read, the last verse of chapter five, Second Corinthians 5.21. But before I get to that, let's just go back and look at the verses leading up to it and point out a couple things, okay, to kind of prime the pump here. So 2 Corinthians 5.14 14. Paul says that he and his missionary companions, those who are writing this letter, are controlled by the love of Christ. This has to be the goal. As as a Christian, this has to be the goal. You want your whole life to be controlled by Christ's love. And it's not just some general love. It's not just like, oh yeah, he gave people hugs and was really nice. That's not what, what's being talked about here. He goes on to say, having concluded this, that he died for all, therefore all died. Christ died for all people. That's the culmination of his love, is his death on the cross, his sacrificial substitutionary death on the cross. One died for all, therefore all died. All people are dead in their sins. All people are in need of Christ to die on their behalf. He died for all, therefore all died, and He died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. So, we're all dead in sin in our natural state, but those who find their life in Christ are actually alive, and His death was for their new life, that they would have this new life not in themselves, but in Christ, and that they would live for Him, no longer living for themselves. I mean, a lot of wordplay going on here, but... It's an amazing stuff. He died that people might have life. He died because people were already dead. They were dead in their trespasses, dead in their sins. And he died so that they might live and that that life that they would live wouldn't be for themselves, but instead for Jesus, for himself. That they would live for him who died and rose again on their behalf. That their whole life, would be for Jesus because of his salvific work his work to earn salvation for them for them on their behalf that's the love of Christ and that's what life needs to be about some people say that you know they are all about the love of Christ but then you you press them on that and what they basically mean is they're all about like obeying commands to earn favor with God or something like that. You know, Jesus said, love your neighbor. And so I'm all about just loving my neighbor. And I know that when I die, God's going to look at all the good things I've done for my neighbors. And he's going to reward me with heaven or um, he's going to exalt me or he's going to allow me to excel to godhood or whatever the case may be. Um, That's not what Paul is talking about here. Instead, Paul is honing in on this event of the cross and the resurrection. He died and rose again on behalf of those who believe in him. He is their representative before God. Their righteousness is completely found in him. And so it's not about, you know, the love of Christ controls us. That means I I keep all of his commands to earn something with God, to earn, you know, exaltation, godhood, whatever, Salvation itself with God. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying we have been saved by God, we've been purchased by God, we've been given over to Christ, and therefore. As a response to the salvation we've already been given, as a response to the exaltation we've already been given in Christ, the guarantee of yes for all of God's promises, in response to that, we are now controlled by His love, which is captured in Jesus' death on the cross and the empty tomb. We are, we're controlled by that, and it affects every area of life And that we want to get this message out to all people And we want to live lives sacrificially on His behalf, do everything for His glory, because we're controlled by His love. So there's a a pretty big difference between those worldviews. Some people can downplay those differences and say, well, it's basically the same thing, but it's not. One is loving, quote-unquote loving, or earning in order to get something. The other is a response to what has already been given. Very big difference. But let's keep going. Again, verse 16. Therefore, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even Christ. He says, we've known Christ according to the flesh, and yet we know him this way no longer. I mean, it it used to be, you know, you could look at Christ and say, okay, yeah, he was a special human being. You know, he was an interesting guy, Jesus of Nazareth. He did some interesting stuff. He taught some interesting things. But that's regarding him just according to the flesh. And Paul says, no, we don't regard him this way any longer. We now see him as he truly is, eternal God, true Savior of the world, who can ultimately change lives. And that's what verse 17 is all about. If anyone is in Christ, a very important phrase in Paul's writings, meaning someone has fully trusted in Christ, put the full weight of his trust for salvation in Jesus Christ, not bringing any of his own works to the table, but looking completely to Jesus as his Savior. When someone is in Christ, he's a new creature, meaning he used to be something else. He wasn't a child of God before. He wasn't regarded with favor by God before. But after faith, once he is placed in Christ by faith, now he's a new creature. Something new is going on. The Bible talks about being born again. You see that in John's writings, and you see that in Peter's writings. Once someone is born again, he is truly new. He's a new creature, as Jesus taught Nicodemus in John 3. And the result of that is that the old things pass away, and the new things have come. So the old things, meaning your old worldview, your old standing before God, your old guilt and condemnation and shame, that's all passed away. And the new things have come, meaning salvation, grace, blessing, mercy, security, assurance. All of that has now come in Christ through faith in Jesus. And all of these things are from God, Paul says in verse 18 who reconciled us to himself. Look at, this is the activity of God here. What what role are you playing as God reconciles you to himself through Christ? Well, this is God's doing. You didn't put yourself in that position. You didn't reconcile yourself to God. God is the one who did it. And this is such good news. Like that may strike your ear as bad news because Maybe you're just trained to think, I have to do something. I have to do something. You're telling me I don't have to do anything? Well, that's terrible. What can, I, what can I do to fix my condition? No, the good news is you can't do anything. And that God does it all through Jesus Christ. He does it all. Salvation, full and free. It's amazing. And then, okay, so you're looking for something to do. Well, here you go. Once you're in Christ by faith, now you have the ministry of Reconciliation. You take this message of reconciliation, the gospel message, out to the world. He's reconciling the world to himself through Christ, and he's committed to his followers, he's given to his disciples the word of reconciliation, that from this point forward... If you're a true believer in Jesus, you would go forth with the ministry of the gospel to take the gospel to the nations that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation would believe, that the church would grow, that the church would expand in its influence, that Christ would get all the honor, glory, and fame. And again, it's a response. You're not doing it to earn points with God. There's not like a a point system, and you get to a certain amount, and then you're saved. That's not it at all anytime you try to do that, you're actually going in the red. You're, you're getting negative points. There's just no way that you can get positive points with God to earn salvation, because your righteous deeds are like filthy rags, it says in Isaiah 64.6. So instead, God comes to you and gives you the full and free offer of salvation— in the person of Christ, that you can be reconciled to Him once for all by believing in what Jesus has done, your sins being forgiven, eternal life coming into your heart, springing up like springs of living water, and that will never be reversed, will never be taken away. That is the offer of God. And now, in response, how amazing this privilege how, how wonderful it is to have this privilege, you get to take that message and share it with others. Just as I today am privileged to share this message with you, you get to go and take it to other people. And that is true service to God, someone who has become a new creature in Christ and is now going out to tell people about Him and His offer of salvation because of what He has done. Not about what we can do, Getting baptized, going to a temple, and doing service, uh, paying you know ten percent uh, of our income, um, you know, kind of go down the line and say, okay, you got all these things, you know, getting your calling and fulfilling your calling duties, and yada yada yada. It's it's not any of that. You're not you're not given that kind of plan in order to get right with God. Instead, you're given this bad news: there is nothing you can do to get right with God. But you're given good news that comes right on the heels of that, saying God has done the work. And today you can be made right with him once for all by believing in Jesus. What good news? What good news? And so Paul here and his missionary companions say we are ambassadors for Christ. They are exercising this ministry, this word of reconciliation. God is making an appeal through us. We beg you. And they're begging on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And and if you're hearing this today and you're someone who has not believed the gospel, hear this as Christ begging through me, be reconciled to God today. You can be saved today. You can be born again. You can become a new creature wherever you're sitting or standing or whatever you're doing right now. You can become a new creature and you can be born again in an instant. That is God's offer. And how, how does all this work? That's where verse 21 comes in. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So the first he here, this is interesting, you've got he made him. That's how this verse starts. He made him. The first he, it makes sense to understand this as God the Father. God the Father made him, and who's him? The second pronoun here. He, the Father, made him the Son. That's what seems to make sense here. Who knew no sin. Jesus, of course, had no relationship with sin. He, the Father, made him the Son, who had no relationship with sin. He was not a sinner. He, in no way, had any kind of impurity in his being to be sin on our behalf so god the father is subjecting god the son who is utterly sinless to become sin on our behalf now that's a very interesting thought does this mean that jesus became a sinner that though he wasn't a sinner before god the father made him a sinner on our behalf no that's not exactly it uh Jesus could in no way be said to be a sinner from the moment he was born in human flesh or conceived, you could say, till even now where he's ascended on high. Nowhere in this process does he become a sinner. However, he does become someone who is treated as a sinner, doesn't he? He dies on a cross. And as Paul says in Galatians, quoting the Old Testament, quoting the law, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That was, that was the death penalty for sin. Jesus was treated like an idolater. He was treated and considered as a liar, a murderer, a rapist. He was considered as the worst of the worst, treated as the worst of the worst, bore the worst sins that anyone has ever committed, from you know things that seem really petty to us but are still disobedient in God's eyes, all the way to the things that the world universally condemns. Jesus was treated in that way, taking the death penalty, taking the full brunt of the wrath of God against those things on our behalf. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, to be cursed on our behalf to be treated as though he was the scum of the earth, the worst sinner who had ever lived. Because that's who we are in our hearts. If Jesus was really going to pay the price we owed, he needed to really be in our position. And if we are the worst of the worst, if we have the root of sin that goes down so deep into our souls that we could say by nature, we are really truly awful, rotten, dirty, wicked people. Jesus had to be treated in such a way. He had to be found on the cross bearing the the punishment for that type of disobedience to God. And so that is what He did. Even though He had no sin, He was sin on our behalf for a purpose. Notice that the next words are, so that He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that... Every time you see, so that in the Bible, this shows purpose. Why did he do it? What was, what's the end of this? What's the end game? What's the goal of being sin on our behalf? Here's the big purpose. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. So not only did Jesus die for us, not only did he bear the punishment we deserve, not only did he take on the death that was rightly due to us, but he did so that in exchange, we would become God's righteousness in him. What does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus gets all of our sin. He gets all that Bad stuff that's on our account that really messes up our relationship with God, that makes us unable to enter heaven, to enter God's presence. Jesus had all of that put on him. And yet he exchanges with us, as he takes that, he gives us the righteousness of God. He gives us righteousness. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that we now see Jesus as righteousness from God and wisdom from God and redemption. He is our righteousness if we truly believe in him. So that, as believers, we have now credited to our account the righteousness of God. We don't have on our account all of our sins and then all of our efforts to make up for our sins. That would get us nowhere. We would, we would be still condemned by God. We would be headed for eternal punishment if that were the case. That is not what's on our account. But instead, if we are true believers in Jesus, we have none of that sin on our account because all of that was placed on Christ, and in its place we have the full, very righteousness of God placed on our account so that we could then enter the kingdom of heaven. We can enjoy God forever. We can live eternally in a new heaven and a new earth in harmony with God where there is no death, where there is no suffering forever and ever because we are righteous completely through and through, not by a single thing that we have done, but by what Jesus has done through his act of righteousness in dying and rising again. Isn't that great news? that you don't have to try to face your sins and make up for them. I mean, that, that, was, that would never work before God. You could never make up for your sins before God. But instead, you can cling to the cross of Jesus Christ and you can say, here is my righteousness. You can cling to the person of Christ and say, he is my entrance into the presence of God because of what he has done. Not what I have done, but what he has done. And that is true, genuine faith. Another passage that illustrates this point is in Philippians chapter 3. I want to read to you verses 7 through eh, 11. Paul says, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. An amazing verse, but here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to lock into. Verse 9, Paul claims, the Apostle Paul claims that he wants to be found in Jesus alone. He doesn't want any of his righteousness to come from himself. He says, not having a righteousness of my own derived from law, derived from obedience to commands, derived from effort of my my own. He wants all of his righteousness to be the righteousness that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, that is on the basis of faith, not on the basis of the deeds we have done, but on the basis of faith alone. That is the righteousness that saves. That is the righteousness that gets somebody to heaven. It's not our efforts. You could never be righteous enough to satisfy God. But Jesus, who is God, came to earth, took on flesh, and lived out a life that we couldn't live, and died the death we deserved, and rose again, that we would be made right with God once for all. One last passage I want to read. This is Titus chapter 3. Starting in verse 4, it says, But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit." whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Have you been justified by God's grace on the basis of faith alone in Jesus? Or have you been seeking to be justified by God on the basis of your own deeds? May it never be that you would pursue righteousness through your own works, but that you would see he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I hope this has provoked your thinking today, and I hope if you have any questions, you'd reach out. Thanks for listening, and God bless.